Yeah. Blog Talk Radio. Wednesday night, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Sports Tonight. I'm your host, Tom Gilbert. We have our, our legends with us, ready to go, uh, from Sarasota slash to Jersey Shore, Mr. Don Henderson. 
up in A-Town. It's a hot lamp for Mr. Roger Hendler. Mr. Roy Cummings here in the Tampa Bay market. And Frank Carroll's fitting in the dials. Guys, I'll start off with this. Lightning is playing great hockey right now, 5-1 Tampa Bay over Detroit from the Amboy Arena. There's a certain company down here that has hamburgers down here. Every time the Lightning would score four or more goals, they get a free hamburger from the, from the uh, fast food establishment. So it looks like uh, the fast food establishment better start getting some hamburgers ready. This hockey team's for real. Gentlemen, good evening. Well, all right, Tommy. I, I'll tell you, everybody keeps saying you know, that they're obviously uh, the favorites to win again this year. And, uh, you know, they started off sort of uh, Menza Menza, but uh, Roy Cummings, uh, they got the talent, they got the team, and they got the depth. Are you talking about Tampa Bay? Or the Lightning? Or the, or the, or the no, Bucks? He, he was talking about the Lightning. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, or, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason. Well, I don't know. Um, yeah, they – they do have the depth. They're in a pretty weak division. Um, I don't know that we can learn much about the lightning from what we're going to see in this particular regular season, the way it is. Um, they are clearly the, probably the best team in uh, the weakest division. I would think in the NHL this year, the way they've restructured it for COVID. Um, you know, they started off with Chicago, and then those were two easy wins before Chicago kind of found its footing. And, you know, now they're playing – they're beating up on Detroit, which is uh, clearly in a rebuilding mode, much like the Blackhawks. Um, they just got done beating up on Nashville, which is in a rebuilding mode. Um, they're not really ready to contend at this point. So, um, we'll see. You know, uh, the Lightning look good. Uh, they look good against bad teams. That's good uh, for them. Take advantage of it. But uh, we won't really know what they're about until we get to the playoffs. Give them credit. Uh, they're doing, you know, they're doing well without uh, uh, one of their key players and Nikita Kucherov. They've lost a couple of bodies because of uh, salary cap issues. And, you know, so they're plugging along. Um, but uh, I don't know that I'd read too much into uh, beating up on teams like Chicago, Nashville, and Detroit. Uh, I think we'll know more about Tampa when they – when they face um, Dallas and actually Florida, which has been pretty good, uh, so we'll see. But um, right now, yeah, they're, they're doing they're doing their job and uh, winning as best they can. Roger. Yeah, well, the uh, the up here, or I, I should say up north, uh, everybody's excited about the Flyers, Roy. And uh, I'll tell you what, they've got a lot of depth and. Uh, the uh, some of the uh, newer players, the younger players, have really uh, stepped to the top. I know, I'm sure you guys have noticed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Flyers are uh, to me one of the more intriguing teams in the NHL this year. We saw them start to develop last year into a, a contender and a team that uh, could give you some fits, and uh, they they carried it on through the playoffs and uh, you know made a bit of noise there, which is great and. Um, you know, here we are uh, now in this season, and uh, they are a strong team. Nice big game against uh, Boston for them tonight. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they're playing very well. Uh, they got, uh, they're got they healthy, which is good. Uh, I've always liked their coach, Elaine Vigneault. I, I think that's a team to really watch. And it uh, seems like these are going to be uh, – they're in for a good season in Philly, that's for sure. Yeah, it's really uh, hockey and hockey and basketball have to take a, a step back because this is the week that everybody looks forward to. Uh, you're right mm-hmm. in the heart of it in Tampa, Florida, Raymond James Stadium, and 
the two best quarterbacks of the season right there ready to play. Uh, first of all, your observations about the game, and then we'll go specific. Yeah, it's obviously uh, it's a classic matchup of uh, the greatest quarterback of all time against uh, arguably the greatest quarterback of, of this time. Uh, I think uh, Patrick Mahomes is head and shoulders above everybody else at his position right now, including Tom Brady. Um, you know, he's, he's a better quarterback than Tom Brady right now. But uh, does that mean he's going to win on Sunday? I wouldn't go that far. Um, look, the loss of those two tackles uh, for for Kansas City is really going to uh, going to require uh, the coaching staff for Kansas City uh, to, to come up with something uh, so, something special, I think, to avoid the pass rush and and get the the ball out on time and and to to be the dynamic offense that they want to be. Uh, they're either going to have to throw it quickly, uh, chip somebody, maybe a combination of both. And, um, you know, I, I believe Patrick Mahomes, after two weeks of rest, is going to be fine in terms of his ability to scramble, um, you know, with that, that toe. But that sore toe has been there for a while. Uh, it's one of those things that probably isn't going to get a whole lot better until he's got two or three months to, to rest instead, instead of two or three weeks. So uh, it's, it's a very good matchup. And, you know, you got a couple of X factors. You know, who's going to be the better team defensively, I think, is going to really determine – who wins this game? I expect both teams to score. Um, I expect both teams to score 25 points or more. Uh, the question is who's going to come up with the big plays defensively uh, to uh, get somebody off the field at a crucial time, take the ball away, and set your offense up for another score that maybe you didn't expect to get. Um, you, you, somebody's going to have to steal a, a possession here, uh, and I think the team that does that uh, is going to end up winning. Tommy? I still think Royal special teams are going to be the key. Um, remember years ago, the Jets and the Giants and, the, and Buffalo Bills came down to a field goal. The Scott Newer were wide right. Now that started Buffalo's troubles could not win the big game. I think maybe in this game, it's going to be the special teams, the punting, the blocking, uh, the, the running back, the kickoffs and that. And most importantly, it's going to be the field goals because that's never a given. It's going, it might be raining down here in Tampa. Sunday, traffic conditions be, might be playing in the rain, and, and the field goals could be your best friend. Yeah, you're right, Tommy. It could be. Uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of games come down to a field goal, and uh, yeah, <laughs> infamous. Uh, it was it was Raymond James Stadium where uh, obviously uh, Scott Norwood missed a, a field mm-hmm. goal that could have won it for Buffalo over the Giants. Giants win, and uh, uh, <laughs> surprised a lot of people because it didn't look like that was going to happen. But you know, and now. You know, we're in an era now. That was an era where you, you seldom have ever saw anybody miss a field goal. Uh, it was a little bit longer than just a, a chip shot. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, now we're in a in a, in a in kind of an era where every field goal, every extra point is sometimes uh, questionable. You don't know. Uh, the, the kickers just aren't as consistent anymore. And it's almost like the, uh, the rules have kind of gotten in their heads a little bit. But, um, you know, you point out that it's not just the kicking game uh, and very, you know, very much. So this game could come down to a field goal. Uh, in fact, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it does. Um, but I think in order to win this game, you're going to have to score touchdowns, not field goals. That doesn't mean the field goal can't win it. But uh, your point about the special teams overall, you know, the Bucks did a real good job against Green Bay of getting some uh, some good yardage uh, to start the, their offensive drives off kickoffs against Green Bay. So uh, they've got a good return game. Obviously, Kansas City has a good return game. 
I don't think Tampa is going to allow Kansas City to use their return game, at least in the kickoff uh, area. Um, you're going to probably see uh, them kick it deep into the end zone and, um, and uh, disallow Kansas City to bring it out. Whether Kansas City Roger. can do that with Tampa or not, or not, I don't know. So we'll have to see what happens there. Yeah, I, I agree about the uh, special teams, uh, and I think the uh, it could come down. I've heard a couple of the prognosticators uh, saying that that could come down to a one-point game. Even some of the uh, current players in the league have made that statement. I heard uh, on Sirius NFL Radio, and uh, I don't know whether you've talked to your buddy uh, Ira. I know he was on, I guess, yesterday. Uh, and uh, he's he's always uh, uh, you know got a lot to say and 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 very insightful uh, and nobody's heard the uh, the Hall of Fame selectees yet have they? He's kept that everybody's kept it quiet. Well, they're not going. They don't vote until Saturday, so we don't know who that's going to be. Um, there's 15 players that uh, will go into the into the room on Saturday for debate. Um, and they'll they'll come out with uh, you know five or six or seven, but um, I am hearing that uh, the one that that's it's starting to look pretty good for for John Lynch, uh, Buccaneers sure. player who uh, has been a finalist now five five I think it's five years now. Um, he he is the right now he he holds a kind of an uh, infamous little record. Uh, he he's the finalist who's had the most. Uh, who's been a finalist the most without getting into the Super Bowl? Sorry, Super Bowl. Getting into the uh, the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's ever been a finalist more often than John Lynch, who again I think it's, this is his fifth year. Uh, but most uh, most of the time, apparently, if you're a finalist for three years in a row, you kind of get in. Eventually, it comes around. But last year was Lynch's fourth year; he didn't get it. Uh, the belief is he's going to get in this year. Uh, I don't think Rondé Barber gets in for Tampa, but. Um, it's a pretty, you know, it's a, it's a pretty stocked class. Uh, so, uh, and and you got a couple who are shoe in. So, uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, again, th- that debate starts about 7 a.m. on uh, Saturday morning. Also, hey, Roger, I don't, maybe you weren't with us last week or week before when he was with us on the show, and said it's very very difficult to keep it undercover. And he said as soon as uh, it begins to come out, even before it's announced, he'll join us on this show. And he'll tell us uh, whether or not uh, the players that we're looking toward uh, are going to get in or not. Uh, well, he, no, he said he wasn't going to wait for the I, official I, date. Yeah, Don, I was on, and I uh, misunderstood what he said. He's, I understood he said the vote was going to be that Tuesday, okay? And then they were going to keep everything under wraps. So, obviously, that's uh, – he. I thought he said that. Obviously, I misunderstood because I no, know no, he, he did. He say. did say that, but he said normally. I thought he said, he said that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and he, they, he said, guess what, guys? I'm I'm the one who's wrong. I'm the one. I I thought it was the standard practice oh. where uh, uh, they all have the vote on uh, on Saturday. Uh, I thought they were just going to do it as a Zoom call this year, or, uh, virtually, as opposed to everybody right. in the same room. You know, I did hear some talk about Peyton Manning already. Uh, you know, I guess be hearing that he's he's in. I, I'm not sure what. So maybe I. Who knows? We'll wait and see. I mean, they they put a dozen guys in anyway. It's it's become the hall of the really good players in my city is what it is. Hey, yeah, I like you know, Brown. Today, you know, uh, today there was a uh, the first practice, and uh, there were some notable players 
uh, weren't able to practice today, including uh, Antonio Brown, Gervonta uh, Davis, and I forget who the third one was, but uh, they all seem to be um, questionable as to until game time. Do you have any information on that? Well, no. I, I, well, based on my last answer, uh, what do I know? Um, no, I mean, I don't think you'll see a decision made until game time on a lot of those guys. There's no reason to let anybody know on Wednesday what, uh, what your plans are for a player unless he's absolutely out for sure. We know the two tackles are out but uh, uh, for Kansas City. But Antonio Brown, I'll be surprised if he plays. Um, you know, they were, he was originally listed as doubtful uh, a week ago. Um, so we'll see how it goes, but um, I'd be surprised if he plays. That knee appears to be a uh, – there seems to be some damage there. Um, but, again, you know, you've got two weeks to get these guys ready. So, uh, you know, stranger things have happened. I, I think right now, to be honest, I, I think the bigger concern uh, health-wise, guys, is the fact that uh, 20-some players were in line to get a haircut from a guy in Kansas City who ended up getting the virus, and, uh, you know, they – they, I think they got him out after about three or four or five guys, but um, mm. apparently everybody was in the same room waiting to get the, their hair cut or something or close to it. And there was a little bit of concern about, you know, whether Kansas City's, uh, uh, you know, if anybody's got, got COVID now. So I, I'm believing, I'm sure the NFL will find a way for those guys to miraculously somehow be healthy uh, come mm-hmm. Sunday, no matter what. But um, that's an interesting story at least. But in terms of injuries, you know, Roy- Let's go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't want to cut in on you. I, no, go ahead. An I'm interesting done. Story. No, it is mm-hmm. an interesting story. And I uh, heard that the uh, Chiefs had gone right by the uh, NFL protocol. The guy was in there every day in the week. And they checked him uh, at least once every day. And then he came, he came out negative. But then all of a sudden, he's got it. Because, you know, you never know. I mean, it can surface. And, uh, you know, hopefully the, the uh, well, I guess two of the players have put on, been put on the COVID list, but if they uh, are tested negative uh, up in, I guess, till Sunday, then they can play if they're uh, negative. Yeah, probably so. And, you know, I know it's interesting. Look, I, I don't know the details behind the story. I, I just know some basics. But it's kind of funny how, you know, a barber comes in to give haircuts to 20 guys on a, on a team ends up with COVID. Did, did anybody ever, you know, suspect that maybe he got it from one of the players? As you just said, you know, he's, he's testing negative, negative, negative. All of a sudden he comes in, he leaves, you know, comes back the next morning. He's positive. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> maybe he got it from the players. Right. Well, hopefully it's a, a false positive. That's it. That's all they get hope for is a yeah, false right. positive. <laughs> yeah. Tommy, go positive. ahead, Tommy. Right. It's your turn. No, that's all right. No, it's just a, you know, just a big game down here in Tampa, and people down there. You know, I was down for the hockey game, Roy, on Monday night. You know, no, Saturday night. Well, the Tampa mayor informed me you have to wear masks down there. And a couple eating establishments on the way to the arena, people were sitting outside with no mask on there, not six feet away. So, I hope, hopefully, everybody's going to the, the game festivities. Wear your mask, please. It's it's a it's not a laughing matter right now, like everybody's been telling. You're right. Yeah, I, I know there's still a lot of tickets available. So, you know, I'm not – I'm sure it will be a sellout. Um, but uh, it's interesting how, you know, you you know, a couple of days before the game here, I think you can still get tickets for it. 
Um, I, I, you know, and I, I don't know if, if everybody that gets a ticket is going to have to test negative or not. Um, or have, I don't think they will have been vaccinated. All of them. I think some of them certainly will have been because a lot of them are, well, I know there's like 7,500 or 750 uh, healthcare workers from Tampa Bay that uh, are going to get to go. But, um, yeah, you're right, Tommy. It, it, this is no time to be. Look, if, if you've gone this far, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, fortunate, and are fortunate enough to have avoid avoided getting the, the virus, you know, just just suck it up a little bit longer and continue to social right. distance, wear the mask, do whatever, do whatever the, you know, what do whatever the professionals say, do whatever the doctors and scientists say. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's so hard for some people, but apparently it is. I'm right. The the, the Outback Bowl followed the procedures that the Bucks were going to use, and that is they were going to take temperatures first. If you don't have a mask, mm-hmm. you don't get in. And as you can pass the um, first temperature before you get into the stadium, you take another test. So that's how they were going to try and keep as many people as possible um, from getting it. Yeah, that's good. I, I, look, believe me, I think the NFL is going to have a, a very strong protocol here and I'm sure they're going to stick to it. Uh, there may be some, you know, some arguments from some people over it, but I think at the end of the day, look, you just you just got to be safe and you got to be smart. Um, not everybody's affected by this virus in the same way. Some people don't, you know, never never even know they have it. Other people, uh, let's face it, other other people are, are are losing their lives over it. So it's not something to be playing with, um, you know. So. I'm sure the NFL will have because that's the last thing you want. Believe me, the last thing you want is is you know for this game to go on, be a great game as I expect it will be, and then find out two weeks later that uh, you know 38 people or you know went to the game, got the virus there, and uh, and now they're struggling. So you don't want that. No, Roger, everyone. No, you're you're exactly right, Roy, and uh, you know it's going to be interesting uh, to see. Uh, you know exactly uh, what does happen uh, and and how things evolve coming up to Sunday. Hopefully, in the next couple of days, uh, it'll uh, everything will be pretty good, pretty good shape when it comes to the COVID. But I think you're right, Frank. I think that was good to follow what the Outback Bowl did because uh, and and that thing you go into a doctor's office or you go any place, you have to uh, a lot of restaurants you have to have your temperature taken. What's the deal, you know? I take mine at least once a day in the morning and a lot of times morning and night, you know, just for my own. Well, you know, you guys talk about the Outback Bowl. I was I was there, guys. You had to take a, you know, test, and then you had to go on the app to try to figure out if you pass this test. If you pass this test, you, you, you have to leave the, the stadium area. Luckily, I passed it, and I had to test two weeks before the Outback Bowl game. And, guys, it felt weird not being with you. It felt weird to be in that stadium. And I thought I was locked up being a bank teller for three hours at the at the football game. That's all protected, this, you know, the, the, the building, I mean, the, the bowl wells itself. But well, fellas, well, we've gone over every bit of that Super Bowl, over the Super Bowl uh, uh, preview, and uh, – Mike Kern of the Philadelphia Daily News and uh, one of the great writers in Philadelphia for such a long period of time is ready to go to talk about John Chaney. And so, uh, uh, Roy, I want to thank you as we always do the first half hour. And we'll, I, we'll kick this game around, I know, all all next week. 
Yes, we will. And uh, I'll give you a quick prediction, guys. Uh, I see it's uh, 33-28 Tampa Bay. Um, that field goal, I think, is going to make a difference somewhere. So uh, 33-28 Tampa Bay, guys. Uh, that's how I see mm-hmm. it. And um, so it'll, it'll be interesting and fun to uh, break it all down next week. So have a great week. Enjoy the game, guys. Enjoy the game. Thanks, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Okay, well, all right, we'll switch over now to a little bit of basketball conversation as uh, Mike Kern is on the line with us. And uh, Mike, of course, such a long period of time with the Philadelphia Daily News, also did the Daily News show on uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia for a number of years. And uh, Mike Kern, we, we, lost a, we lost a legend in Philadelphia last week. Uh, Don, as you know, uh, one of you know, he, he – he um, retires the term one of a kind. Uh, and the thing I always throw out is when um, Dean Demopoulos, who was a longtime assistant with him, uh, got the job, John turned to him and said, don't look me up in the dictionary. You won't find me there. And <laughs> it's the truth. I mean, you know, and you try to, you know, you try to explain to other people. I've been trying to do it for four days now. You know, I went back and read like three stories I had done on him. Um, the people, you know, commenting on from t- from years gone by, and it's the stories never end. I mean, you know, I could, I probably should write a book. Um, I tried to talk John into it a couple times, but he truly was, you know. There's a lot of great guys that have come come and gone. You know, John's not the only one. I mean, we, you know, we in Philadelphia, we've been so lucky with the, the coaches and whatnot. And and but there was a time, and people may have a tough time understanding this. But John Thompson, John Cheney, and um, Nolan Richardson in Arkansas were the three guys, the black people, you know, black coaches. And, you know, we take it for granted now that black guys can coach basketball teams. They're still behind the learning curve in football. But back then there weren't a lot of them. And those three voices for a lot of black people were, were real meaningful. And, you know, John won a national title, Nolan won a national title, and John got to um, five final eights. Um, and all, you know, but, um, just, just giants, literally giants. Roger. Mike, what, what made him so special? I mean, I mean, I know what he did for, uh, inner city, uh, you know, recruiting inner city, uh, players and everything, but there, there were a number of things that made him special. In your mind, what was number one as far as making him so such a special person? Well, it's it's hard to answer that with one thing, but but he was a simple man, but he was a complicated man. But I think to understand John, you have to understand what he came from. He he grew up in Florida at a time when it wasn't a good idea for a young black man to be growing up in Florida. And when he came to Philadelphia, he was Player of the Year in the Public League in 1951. The Catholic League player of the year was Tom Gola, who went on to a Hall of Fame career. John couldn't play in the Big Five because there were quotas. He had to go back to Bethune-Cookman. He couldn't play in the NBA, so he had a great career in the Eastern League. And then he became an educator. And I think he saw himself first and foremost as a teacher who would have stayed a teacher at Cheney University. He was teacher of the year in Pennsylvania in 1979, but they didn't give him tenure. And when he wound up at Temple, it was like the perfect marriage because they both had the same mission statement. You know, we're going to try to lift up those people who maybe need help getting lifted. And it wasn't a popular stance to take a lot of times. 
but that's the way John felt about it, that he wanted to he, – he didn't want to be like the crab in the basket that kept trying to pull people back when they tried to get out. He wanted to try to lift you. And, and not all the, the, the stories were, you know, happy ending success stories, but there was plenty of them. Um, you know, I remember what uh, Eddie Jones said after his final game, Eddie Jones, one of his best players, played with Aaron McKee, who's the, the current coach at Temple now. And he looked at me, and I said, what did John and you ta- say at that final hug? And he goes, he taught me how to be a man. How can I ever repay him for that? And I think there's a lot of people walking around today that would say pretty much the same thing. You're right. Mike, I think yeah. the other thing you could talk about, you just talked about the uh, uh, development of the black coaches, but it was really John and, and, and the other three that uh, created the Black Coaches Association that put the first game together. Uh, I believe we were all in mm-hmm. Memphis for that game, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, that was quite a night. Well, there, there, as, as John pointed out, there wasn't a lot of black coaches then. Um, you know, and they had a voice. And I remember one year, Don, I think they were actually going to boycott some games. There was some talk mm-hmm. that they were going to boycott. They never did, but they, were, they, they wanted the young guys who were going to become the next John Chaney's and the next John Thompson's and the next Nolan Richardson's to have their chance. And if you look around college basketball right now, n- nobody says a word when there's a black guy coaching the team now. It's just, you know, it's part of the landscape. And, you know, I don't know what's right and what's wrong, but I look around college football and you see like there's, you know, five division one, or I'm probably going to get the number wrong, but, you know, black head coaches, 130 schools. And you see what the NFL is going through now. And um, in the NBA, that's not a problem. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just two different sports and the way we look at the two different sports. I, I have no idea, but um, all John cared about was, and, and you didn't have to be black. You could be white. You know, he had a lot of white friends. I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of white friends and, and uh, he just wanted to try to have everybody have a chance to better themselves in life. life. And if they could do that using basketball as the vehicle, then he was going to use basketball as the vehicle. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. I'm I'm listening. Tommy. Okay. Well, welcome to this. Welcome to the show. We, it's an honor to have you on, sir. And I, I remember, thank you. you know, like I remember John Chaney. You know, he used to, you know, he used to have the towel around his neck up there, and then and he got the, he got an argument, I think, with John Calipari. That's what it, you yeah, know, he did. Was, sure and they did. Had a big fight, fight. And then after that, they they made up and that. So it just tells you. Tells you one thing, you know, John Chaney was intense on the basketball court, but off the court is a gentleman and a scholar. Look, John had his warts, and he wasn't perfect, and he was loud. And my man Don Henderson was a big part of that Cal party thing because he held John back <laughs> at one point in all that. <laughs> That's right. If you look at the videos. But John was not without his faults, and he would tell you that. He knew he was he, – he, you know, he called the commissioner of the A-10 that night and says, I screwed up, only he didn't use the word screwed. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 10 years later, there was the incident against St. Joe's with Goongate where John was wrong. He, he sent mm-hmm. a player onto the court to intentionally foul because of what he thought was something that was wrong at the time. And, and I told him, I said, John, you were wrong. You, you know, you, you, you messed up big, big time. But if you took the good, it's so out far, way, out, far outweighed the bad. And and again, a lot of people did. When I first was told I was going to cover Temple in 1991, I didn't want to mm-hmm. cover Temple. And my boss uh-huh. said to me, "He goes, no, more things will happen up there," because I had covered Villanova for a year. And 
he was absolutely right because it, it I, I was afraid of that angry big black man on North Broad Street. I really was. <laughs> and when you got to know him, and, and as Don will attest to, and not everybody did, but most of us did, he was a teddy bear. He really was. He, he was, you know, he was a teddy bear. But, man, on the sidelines, he, he could be an SOB. And, and <laughs> you know, everybody knew that. But, but you knew there was that. Uh, you know, I used to hear him talk about referees. You know, re- some referee that he would be yelling and screaming at, and he'd say, I love that guy. You know, I know I'd get on phone calls with John where he would scream at me for 15 minutes. And then two minutes later, we'd be laughing. And that was just John. <laughs> he, he was, um, as I said, a very simple person, but a very complicated person at the same time. Mike, well, Mike two I, of the three. Yeah, the third time, I would just say, is uh, when he had the unfortunate <laughs> – I think he got suspended for one one game is two. Uh, we were in the press. Remember when they called that foul with no Garrett, time left? In the game? Garrett, I'll never forget that. Well, I didn't cover the team then, Don. So I, I, but he did put his hands apparently around the neck of the GW coach, <laughs> which you can't do. I, I mean, you know, look <laughs> – he probably should have got suspended for a lot more. And if it was nowadays, he probably would. But, again, I'm not condoning what John did. I, you know, there, there were times when John – but, like I said, most of the time, uh, Rick Brunson once said to me, he goes – he said, don't listen to how Coach Cheney says something. Listen to the words. And it's the truth. If you, you know, I went back and watched one of our Daily News Live Christmas shows, Christmas Eve shows, that were just memorable. And you listen to John, he was talking about politics. It was just after George Bush had gotten elected, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a big fan of Republicans. And, um, but he would talk about this and that and what was going on in the world. This guy was really intelligent about a lot of things. But because he huffed and puffed and, and all that kind of thing, you thought, oh, my God, you know. Um, his, his, his bark was worse than his bite. But his bite could be pretty good sometimes, too. Mike, uh, you and I will remember the night that he and uh, Gary Cobb got into it at, at the uh, towards the end of the sports writers' banquet. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, um, it was the a one thing bro. about John. The one, I mean Roger. The one thing about John was, if he thought something was wrong, whether he was right or not, most of the time he was right. But whether he was right, or not, he's gonna let you know about it. And, you know, he was going to let, let you know about it in John Cheney's way of letting you know about it. And, you know, Don and I were certainly there for, you know, the better part of a decade, I guess, at least together. And we saw a lot of that. But we also saw the times, you know, where he'd go to the, to the, uh, the bar at the Dayton Marriott and buy drinks for everybody in the crowd. And, and people we didn't even know would come over and talk to him and, and, and things like that that, Obviously, the normal fan can't get to see because they're not there. Um, right. But he had a heart of gold. He really did. And and he, I saw him a couple times send his uh, director of basketball ops, John DeSango, his right-hand man, over to the Reading Terminal Market with coats. You know, that Nike had given him or whatever. He had just had coats laying around because he'd seen a homeless guy over there. And he would say, John, take these over to that homeless person. And 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 – and all coaches do that. I'm, I'm not saying, look, the Jay Wrights of the world, the Fran Dunphy's of the world, uh, the Phil Martelli's of the world, these are all men that do a lot of really good things for young people. So let's, but John just did it in a way that was different. It, it, you know, it was John's way. Um, 
you know, and um, and, and there's never going to be another, you know, from the matchup zone to the 5 a.m. practices to the to the Armani ties to the, you know, to this, that, and the other, and there'll just never be another one like them. And I, and I was just so thankful that I got to experience that probably as well as any writer in Philadelphia. Mike Turner, our special guest to this 50-minute segment. And, Mike, uh, maybe lastly but not least, I know other guys will have a last question too. I don't think people around the country, I'm talking now, even the basketball people, even the great coaches, and I'm talking about Bobby Knight, who he had such a great relationship with Hall of Fame. Bobby Knight brought the team in for his Hall of Fame. I mean, it was so bad. The Sharks, the great games we had in Vegas, and the great games they had between the, the two men. But nobody, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody realized what he worked with. I mean, I'll just touch on it quickly, and you can amplify. I mean, he had a little office with a TV set and a, and a, and a tape recorders. I mean, and one other coach. He had nothing. He, he used to. He had. He had basically a, a, an office in the in the basement of McGonagall Hall. It had five guys, Jim Maloney, Dean Demopoulos, John DeSangro, Miss Essie Johnson, his, his great secretary. And John had a little room in the back, and he would answer the phone sometimes if you called. I mean, I can't make this up. He had five, four or five McDonald's All-Americans in 25 years. And one of them left early because he, he only stayed a year. Uh, John just had a knack for playing a certain way, getting his kids to play a certain way. I remember one time he looked at me when some of the Temple people were complaining about the style of play, and I said, well, that style of play got you to five final eights. I said, that style of play is the reason no school wants to play you in the NCAA tournament. They just don't. And that, and John looked at me one time and he said, Mike, if I played real basketball, I'd be fired in two years. And he knew. And, and you know, and the man won a national title at, at Cheney in 1978, Division Two. And, and he coached the same way when he coached at, at, at high school and junior high school. He never changed. The, the, the man, he's a dinosaur. You know, he, 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 and I'm convinced if he had gone to LaSalle or St. Joe or any other school, he would have been successful. He would have had a tremendous amount of success. But going to Temple was the perfect thing for that university and that man because they believed in the same things. And um, look at what Temple is now guys i mean you know back when john went there it was this little i, I don't I, I don't mean little but it was just the school on north broad street that was thinking about moving to ambler you know at the time and and now it's like the the, the, the second biggest uh, uh employer in philadelphia or something like that or i mean you know and and i don't think it's any coincidence and look i think franny Dunphy did a, a great job there jimmy Lyman once told me the hardest job in america was replacing john cheney and I think he was right. And Fran Dunphy won three straight Atlantic 10 titles, something John never did. But people forget now because the end wasn't really good. But you look at all the success John had. Temple didn't have nearly that much success before John. They didn't have as much success after John. So was that a Temple thing or a John thing? And I, I think it was more of a John thing. But And I'm not trying to belittle Temple in any way. I don't mean it that way. But that was a John Cheney production. And... Uh, you know, we saw it. We marveled at it. And, you know, every year we'd say, how does he do it? How does this man get into the end? You know, we'd look at the roster and say, how does that team get in the NCAA tournament? And the great thing about John is he'd play anybody anywhere. You know, you alluded to it, Don, you know, UNLV, Kansas, Duke, Carolina. He played them all. He didn't care. And he took his lumps. 
put out he dished a few lumps out too. You know, and the the one thing is I wish he would have just got the one final four just so he could have had that, that microphone for a half hour and then they try to pry it away from him. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Well Mike, the one thing you have to think about that we were at the Kindle man in, in, in Seattle and his chance to get to the final four, uh, you know, we got to the Sunday game and he's he's got Cunningham playing center <laughs> because yeah. there's nobody else. And he's playing against the Fab Five, where every single one of them were illegal players, and they went to the finals. And John got knocked out because he had to play with Cunningham at center against the Fab Five. Well, he was leading by eight at halftime, if you yeah. remember. Um, and but, they, but in all fairness, though, he did have Eddie Allen and Ricky. So I mean, that team had some talent too. I'm not going to. But think about this, Don. He made the first final eight he made. Yes, he was the one seed. They lost to the number two seed, Duke. And I asked him one time, he said, you know, Duke did make like five straight final fours after that and won a couple national titles. But that was technically an upset. The four other ones he made, he was a six, a seven, a 10, and an 11 seed. And all four of those years, he lost to a one-seeded team. Okay? And three of those games were close. The 91 game, the 93 game, and the 2001 game. So... Yes, when, when eventually he got to a point where the other team just had so much talent that it was going to be tough for them to beat him. But don't let anybody tell you that, that John, nobody wanted to play him in the NCAA tournament. I don't care who you were. Now, I remember the one year in 2001, and Rick Barnes from Texas had drawn him. as He was a six seed. And, and Kelvin Sampson of Oklahoma calls Rick Barnes up and says, who'd you get? And, and he says, I got Temple. And he goes, oh, no. Because five years earlier – Oklahoma had played Temple in a first-round game, and they lost by, like, 20. They scored, like, 45 points. I saw that game, like, five times. I saw Ryan Miner about three months later because the Phillies drafted him, and he came in. I said, Ryan, what do you think of that Temple zone? He goes, well, he goes, I got to tell you, for the first half, we thought they were playing man-to-man. I said, Ryan, they haven't played man-to-man in forever. But that's <laughs> what John did you, and you knew exactly what the game was going to be. It was going to be 58-46. to 46. Temple was going to win the game. And I used to tell people all the time, I said, I know how this game's going to turn out. It isn't going to be good for you guys. Um, but, you know, that, that, that was the legacy of John. Hey, win ugly, baby. <laughs> just, just win yeah. ugly. But you know what? Just win. When you, advance in the, when you advance in the tournament, who cares? Right. Hey, mm-hmm. Mike, you know, uh, just to uh, get to the big five or big six for a minute, uh, what has happened at St. Joe's? <clears throat> Well, you know, look, they, people wanted Phil gone. They got a new administration right. in, and Phil was gone. And, okay, that's fine. He did win the Atlantic 10 title in 2016 and won the Atlantic 10 title in 2018. But, okay, Phil had a pretty good recruiting class coming in. And when he left and two of his better players transferred, he, he has a kid that would have been coming in who's now starting for Maryland. He's got another kid who's now starting for Providence. And it's tough. Billy came in and had to start, you know, basically all over. And this is what can happen when you start all over. You want to cue Frank? It's not not easy to win. Um, You know, I mean, we've seen what LaSalle's going through for so many years, trying to get good again. And sometimes I think, look, maybe Phil's time had come, and and he's got Michigan now, and he's got a good gig. I'll be right with you. But maybe – 
you know, maybe you got to you got to appreciate what you got when you got it. Maybe a little bit more. Yep. That's the way I'll put mm-hmm. it. I agree. I agree with you totally. You know, and uh, but it is good to see that. Uh, well, I'm hoping that the light's at the end of the tunnel for Billy. Okay, that you know you can see the light because you know I. Well, follow- I don't know right now if they. I don't know right now if they see much of anything, but you know it's a COVID year. Everything's goofy anyway. Um, I right. think Billy will, will get something going there, but you know, it's hard, man, because in this city everything revolves around Nova now anyway. So you know, we see all the other schools are struggling. Uh, and I mean, Ashley's making making LaSalle a little bit better, but it's hard, man. It is it's it's hard because Villanova just overshadows everything, as well they should. Yeah. Well, you know, I I follow uh, the uh, women's program, and Denise has uh, done a great job following Harry at Villanova, mm-hmm. and then he's uh, done a great job following Denise at Drexel. You know, I did those games for a number of years, and I'm just happy for for both of them. I think they're both excellent coaches. So Man, there's a, we have a lot of good coaches in the city. We always have. We talked about John Sandy and we talked about Temple University and of course Roger is a graduate of Temple and went there for years And uh, but we didn't mention Dr. Peter Lee of course I mean, of course we got the Lee Course Center now I mean you got to mention a little bit about Dr. Peter Lee of course because he's the one that took the bill by the horns and brought John Sandy in at a Cheney University and, right. and he was really spearheaded the athletic program all the way up and down the line, not just football, but he spearheaded John all the way through. Yeah, well, I mean, look, when he hired John, around that same time, he hired Bruce Arians, um, right. you know, to replace Wayne Harden, which was you you were replacing, you know, kind of like a legend, uh, right? In that regard, I mean, Wayne's in the Hall of Fame. The, the only the only criticism I would have of Peter over the years is he never put enough into the football program. And he took it for granted. And the football program was always dwarfed by John, um, you know, which it was going to be. But John got it done. This is another thing that people don't realize about John. He got it done on a shoestring. I, I mean, you know, it wasn't like he had the budgets of some of these other schools and, and things like that. And, and, you know, but then I think they thought the football program could succeed the same way, and it couldn't. And until they actually got a nice facility built, which, you know, they did when Al Golden – finally came on um that, that's just a shame that that they couldn't have somehow stayed in the big east and and kind of made a little bit more of an inroad there but look what matt rule did temple football is always going to be the second banana anyway i mean it just is you're you're in a city of pro sports the eagles right. dominate so it's, it's, it's never but that one moment when they played notre dame that game three or four years ago whatever it was uh it was just you know to su- to suffer through all the things temple Football suffered through over the years to have that moment and almost actually pull it off. But that day and that week in Philadelphia were, it was goosebumpy. It really was. I love Matt Rule. I, I just, I, I think the world of Matt, um, I, I hope he succeeds with the Panthers. But it, it's just football, college football in Philly is a tough sell. And to be honest with you, college basketball, the, the world is shrinking. Everything is, you know, the media now is shrinking. They have less room. They have less this. They have less that. And, you know, it's going to – the pro sports are going to dominate. And there's less and less room for the colleges. There's less and less room for high schools. Or, you know, and that's a shame because it wasn't like that 30 years ago. But I guess they call that progress, huh? 
Mike, yeah. I want to thank you very, very much for your time, and congratulations on so many great years with the with the Philadelphia Daily News. And of course, you you touched on it there. The paper situation is uh, is just in such a state of flux. Uh, best of luck, yep. and 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 thank you yep. so very much for taking time to spend with us to talk about John Cheney. Well, we hear all your voices, and any time you just give me a ring. Oh, thank you. Okay. Thank Thanks you safe. very much. You and your we're gonna family. we're gonna switch stay, gears stay right now. Okay, I sure <laughs> will. We're gonna we're gonna switch gears right now, and uh, I'll tell you, you talk about John Cheney, a longtime friend, a longtime associate, a longtime partner. He's gonna come on next. Sunny Hill, for so many years as an analyst on CBS, started the Sunny Hill League with John with John Cheney in Philadelphia. Knew John before he got to Gratz High School or anywhere else. So, Sonny, as always, welcome to the show. And you wanted to start the beginning, so let's start in the beginning. <laughs> well, uh, you hit on a part of it. Uh, I think one of the most important things in reference to the respect that uh, Coach Cheney is receiving uh, throughout from all media and uh, – the people who just uh, kind of respect him from his uh, temple days. And uh, from my perspective, I try to make sure that people understand long before he was at Temple that he had a career and he was successful in that career uh, going all the way back to high school when he was one of the uh, first black coaches in the city of Philadelphia to be at, be at Grass High School. And then from Grass High School, he was then given the opportunity to, uh, to be recruited to Cheney State uh, College. And uh, from there, uh, he got the opportunity late in life, over 50, to be able to uh, have Peter uh, Lear Chorus, the uh, president at Temple University, who happened to be at Temple University as a president for 18 years, very few individuals end up at one college with that number of years. But uh, Peter, seeking a uh, change in coaches, and uh, Peter and I were very close. He used to come over to the uh, Baker League Games, which is the summer pro league that we started in 1960. And uh, mm-hmm. Peter and I became very close. And he said to me one day, um, uh, I'm looking for a coach. Would you be interested? And I said, no, I'm not a coach. I said, but I think I have somebody that might be uh, the person that you're looking for. And uh, we set up a meeting between uh, Peter Lear, of course, the president of Temple University, and John Cheney and myself. In fact, Don, you may know, uh, you know Philadelphia going south. There's a, a restaurant right on the uh, left-hand side on uh, Broad and Washington, right up to go past Broad and Washington, Italian restaurant. And uh, we met there. I introduced uh, Coach Cheney to uh, Peter, and uh, they hit it off. And that uh, gave Coach Cheney the opportunity to leave uh, Cheney State and uh, go to Division One. And, uh, mm. by the way, he was one of the early black coaches. They were not hiring him black coaches at that time, and uh, he was the uh, second black coach in the city of Philadelphia uh, in the Big Five, 
and that uh, gave him the foundation for the um, aspect of his career that most people identify with and the success that he had at Temple University. Hmm. Roger Henler, get in there with Sonny. Sonny, I'll tell you what. Are we in your living room? (laughs) (laughs) Your your producer said the same thing. Thank you guys for acknowledging my living room. And now I listen at uh, through on the uh, radio.com. But uh, I'll oh, tell you what, you. I was going to listen, I love it. I was going to call I called you one Sunday, but I didn't get on. And but I won't go into that because it was uh, No, about, no, no, no. Come back. Come back. Come back. Well, you I'll call. Tell, you what. tell my producer. No, no, no. You I'll you tell call. you what. I'll t- I'll tell you what it was. I was at opening night, or the, I'm sorry, I was at the first game at Convention Hall that Wilt played against Bill Russell. I think they had played in Boston, and the, but the, this was at Convention Hall, as you recall, over 12,000 people in a 9,700-seat uh, uh, venue. And uh, the uh, Wilt was fantastic. I was with my buddy Steve Dozer. I won the lucky p- uh, program. I was in Section N in the middle of the section, the highest in the balcony. And then uh, when Wilt won the, uh, the, uh, at, uh, the MVP at the All-Star game, I think, when would that have been, like 60, uh, I guess, uh, something 61? Uh, no, no, he, he, just, no, he was nine. the MVP. No, no, Wilt was the MVP his rookie year, 1959. Okay, well, that, then that's what it was. We were yep. in high school. And and we used to hang around and talk to Wilt. So he asked Steve and me, will you help uh, me with my gear? And, of course, what he got as a most valuable player award was a portable TV. So, <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so, anyway, I'll tell you what. He was the best, and uh, I I don't care who. You'll never get me to admit that any player – that I've ever seen in my life, and I'm 77, is better than Wilt Chamberlain. Let me tell you, that's my opinion. Well, let me piggyback off of that story and give you a John Cheney, Wilt Chamberlain story. John, obviously, (laughs) is older than Wilt. Wilt and I are the same age, 84. John was uh, 89 when he passed, so he is uh, five years or four years older than us. But when John Cheney was growing up, he was such a great legendary high school basketball player that when uh, John and Wilt would play games uh, together, uh, Wilt had this ability to have, you could shoot the ball outside, and Wilt could go up to the apex, catch a ball, not catch it, but guide the ball and put it in the basket. You can't imagine what I'm talking about because nobody can do this. So John Chain used to tell Wilt, I'm going to tell you something. When I shoot the ball, don't you ever touch my basketball when I'm shooting it. You can relate to that because that sounds like John Chain is speaking, didn't it? (laughs) I'll give you fellows another story that I just learned last night. Uh, And you learned so many different things. And it was on the Golf Channel. It was on the Golf Channel, and, and Bill Russell was being interviewed. Uh, for a, an hour show, and uh, he talked about Wilt and talked about himself, talked about his career. Uh, but the thing that he said was, 
when he came to, you know, people don't understand. He came to Philadelphia with the Boston Celtics because Philadelphia and the Celtics used to play Thanksgiving night. You'll remember this, Sonny. They always played Thanksgiving in Philadelphia, and then they I know, played. I, I know the story. I know the story. Yeah, go ahead. Christmas, Christmas time, they played at, at uh, Madison Square Garden. But anyway, all of a sudden, Bill Russell gets a knock on the door at the hotel. And uh, comes to the door, and Will Chamberlain standing there. And Will said, uh, Bill, I want you to come with me. Well, where are we going to go? He said, we're going to go over to my house. My mother, yep. my sisters, my brothers. Yep. We're going to sit down. We're going to have Thanksgiving dinner at my house. Yep. And then we're going to come That's back, true. and we're going to play the game. And people didn't understand the relationship <laughs> between Bill Russell. They thought it was a war. That, that had nothing mm-hmm. to do with it. Right. Well, you, you know, we're off to another part, but I'll sum it up by saying this. Bill Russell is a master at reverse psychology. Now, Sonny, what does that mean? Russell is older than Wilt. Russell, Bill Russell is Wilt's hero. Ooh. Bill Russell and Wilt became friends prior to Wilt going into the NBA. Hmm. So what Russell did all the time, he always spoke about Wilt in glowing terms. Oh, you know, he's the greatest, and he's this. And he would eat, and he would sleep for a period of time at Wilt's house. And then when Wilt came to Boston, he would do the same thing. So what he really did was he used that to his advantage and this is what we would tell him all the time. We would tell Wilt this all the time. Why is it that you're not more physical and aggressive when you're playing against Bill Russell? That would be Hal Lear, Johnny Sample. Don't forget the Super Bowl is coming up on Super Bowl three, And Johnny Sample right. saved the Super Bowl so there would be no Super Bowl if there wasn't a Johnny Sample. That's another story. So we would mm. always get on Wilt. The fact that you wouldn't play as hard or be as physical against Bill Russell because Russ used reverse psychology, you just spoke of it. I want to let the, Tommy get in here for a second. Tommy, you, you're, you're Philadelphia before you went to Cleveland. You, you saw the Sixers. You saw the Flyers. You saw the Eagles. You saw them all. You saw Wilt. You saw Temple University and the you were a big part. John Cheney was the coach then, and you had a chance to see him just as we did. Oh, this is fantastic. Sonny, thanks for coming on. I'm, a, I'm still a big fan here, Sonny. I remember growing up in the, in the Sun, Sunny Hill League, and Don did the Sixers games. And, that, and, and I, I still remember the one game broadcast in Baltimore, the Baltimore Civic Center, right? And this is so funny because the, the dog, as a hot dog would come out like that, Everybody says, what is that? He said, that's a bullet mascot. Every time the gun would go off, the dog would bark. <laughs> I still remember the sun until the day I died, but that was so funny. I mean, you know, growing up in Philadelphia, we were blessed to have the big five. We were blessed to have all the teams up there. Then, then you come down here to the Tampa Bay area, right? And then college basketball is not the same, Sonny. They don't have any summer leagues like, like, like you have. It's not the same. And, and you know, I was just very, very blessed that I got to got to play basketball uh, and watch basketball all my life in Philadelphia. It wasn't for you and 
Don and Mr. Don Henderson, I'd be totally lost about following a great game of basketball. And I've been meaning to say that to you for about so many years. I said it tonight, Sonny. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the comment. My pleasure. Well, getting, getting back to Temple University, in fact, I got a call from Chet Zukowski, who you know very, very well. I worked with Chet for 20 years at Temple University, a terrific guy. And he said, you know. Outstanding producer. Outstanding. You're exactly right. Outstanding producer. And he said to me, when you're talking to Sonny Hill tonight, because John and he were such close friends and you're so associated with Temple University, maybe he'll go in and talk to the president. Because when Dave Zinkoff retired for the Philadelphia 76ers after all those years, they named the street. It's Dave Zinkoff Street, if you remember that, right by the spectrum. Yes. Maybe Temple University, maybe Temple University with Fearhead, naming a street in the city of Philadelphia after John Cheney. What do you think? Wow. Well, we 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 have uh, we have streets. In fact, uh, right there on Broad Street, uh, we have uh, Reverend Leon Sullivan Way. Reverend Leon Ooh. Sullivan is the former, uh, or actually was the pastor at Zion Baptist Church, but most important, Reverend Sullivan is the man that brought down apartheid in South Africa. With the Sullivan principles, he was the first black to be on the board at General Motors of all the boards, and what he did was he used the tactic of getting businesses from the United States to stop doing business in South Africa, which brought down and helped to bring down apartheid in South Africa. So there's a there's a Reverend Leon Sullivan way, and there's also a Georgie Woods way, who is a great mm. disc jockey in the city of Philadelphia. So there's right. every opportunity for what you are talking about and suggesting that there could be a John Cheney way. Mm. I, think I, I, I don't. Go ahead, Roger. I think broad in 15th on Burks. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, just getting back to Wilt for one second, you're going to love this, Sonny. I live outside of Atlanta now, and I was at the cleaners on uh, Saturday, and the owner's son is a uh, sophomore at Georgia State. And he asked me, because he's a big NBA fan, and he asked me, did Wilt really score 100 and I said, he certainly did. I was listening to the game. And what I'm going to do is I have Sam Carcitti's book of Bill Campbell, and I have that CD, and I told him I'm going to record the play-by-play that's in that CD of Wilt scoring the 100th point. And, of course, we all know how we got the, the play-by-play of a fan, and I think called you, Don, didn't he, at, at CAU at night? And said, "I no, he actually he actually called Bill. He actually called Bill himself and said, Bill, you have a record of the game you broadcast when Will scored that. It was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I don't know whether most people would even think of that, but it was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And uh, it said to Bill, do you have a copy of the broadcast? And Bill said, no, we we, we didn't even think about keeping broadcast uh, tapes in those days. He said, well, I have it. And he said, I'll send it to you. Well, the tape that you're talking about was sent by a listener to our show at CAU uh, when Bill was there. Isn't that amazing? Mm. Well, but young man, he, you know, uh, 
who's born here but of Indian descent, big fan, and uh, just uh, is so interested in Wilt, uh, Sonny. I mean, it's just fantastic. Well, I'll get back to John Chaney, Coach John Chaney. Before Coach John Chaney became a coach, people don't realize this, but Coach John Chaney is one of the great basketball players of all time. He was a fabulous basketball player at Bethune-Cookman College, Black College. Then from that, they were not bringing black players into the NBA at the time that uh, John Chaney was getting out of college in the early 50s. And John we Chaney were ended Clifton. Up, yeah, but John Chaney ended up playing in the Eastern Professional League, which is where I also played when there was only eight teams in the NBA and eight teams in the Eastern League, which is a weekend professional league, playing primarily on Friday, Saturdays, and holidays. And John Chaney is one of the greatest players ever in the Eastern Professional Basketball play, uh, League. And I can attest to this as a historian of the game of basketball. If John Chaney had been given the opportunity by Eddie Godlin and the Philadelphia Warriors to play on that team during the time that the Boston Celtics with dominant with Bob Cousy, John Cheney was on that same level with Bob Cousy and a far better defensive player. Mm. Wow. So let me ask you this. I mean, what, what, uh, there are two things I'd like to ask you, really. One, takeaways, giving up the ball, turnovers. They, they just killed John. And uh, he had two things. And he really he protected the ball. You could take it away from John. And secondly, he just hated turnovers. Now, how did he get into that vein? Well, first off, you're talking about a person who did not turn the ball over. So, therefore, that was grounded, uh, grained in him from his playing days. Um, through that, he came up with the philosophy that if you don't turn the ball over, you get more opportunities to shoot. And another thing that John told me about basketball, and I appreciate it, when you turn the ball over, you give the opposing team, and you heard us talk about this, Don, when we did the couple broadcasts together. I used to say this all the time. You give the other team an opportunity to get out and get easy baskets. Actually, your defense, is decided by your offense. Mm-hmm. If I don't turn the ball over, then it means that when you get the ball, you have to face my defense, which can be set most of the time. So that's why he came up with that, and he always measured measured that by anywhere from eight to eleven. And if it got closer to eleven, he was—I mean—he was really upset. And therefore, as you know, Don, because you did the games, it always kept Temple in the games simply because they did not turn the ball over. And the master for that was Nate Blackwell. Uh, yeah, you're and right. Nobody, two talks things. nobody talks about Nate Blackwell because they only talk about Mark making in terms of what he did, and Mark was good. But the, the person that built the Temple program, I can tell you that because Nate Blackwell is related to me. I talked mm. to Nate Blackwell's grandmother and said to her, I want Nate to go to Temple. 
He was not going to go to temple. His grandmother said to me, Sonny, if that's where you want him to go, he'll go. And Mm. Nate Blackwell is the person that built the Temple John Cheney basketball program. Well, two last things, Sonny, to touch on. Uh, When you and I were broadcasting together, we had a great time. But getting to the Mm -hmm. game itself, there were two things that I learned from you that winning time, you always talked about winning time. Don't tell me you're hurt. Don't tell me you're tired. This is the time we win the game. And the other thing was when you came in, when you drove the ball, you stopped and took that little – Eight, nine footer. You didn't go all the way into traffic and get it blown up. And those players can't do that today. No, they can. The coaching has changed and they've fallen in love with the three point line. So, therefore, that style of basketball is almost not played at all. It's almost right. like it's an elimination of the big man in the post. And the style of play is players play out on the perimeter, dribbling strong to the basket with no big man there, and therefore they end up with a lot of easy shots on the inside. And there are coaches who will say to their team, I do not want the mid-range shot. I only want the three-pointer and drive directly and straight to the basket. Right. Sonny, I want to thank you so much for spending a half hour with us. All right. Just just to talk about John Shaney and and what a great person he was, what a great coach he was. He's going to be missed around uh, the Leah Corps Center and Temple University, no question about that. Let me me take one minute of your time and say this, what I said last week on the radio show. When you think of John Shaney, and Don, you can appreciate it because you've been around him. First off, he was a fabulous cook. Secondly, he loved to shop for food, not only for his own household, but also for food for other individuals. The Mm. third thing he was great at, he was a fabulous basketball player. Guess what he was least good at on that scale? Coaching. You didn't hear what I said. The one last thing I would say to you is, you didn't hear what I just said. I heard you. The other other thing was, though, he was not only a great cook and a great shopper for food. He was a shopper. Every time we go (laughs) on the road, he'd go to every major store. I I don't know how much he bought, but I dropped off at Macy's or I dropped wherever. Now, John did that as a part of his routine. I'll tell you a, a, a brief story. I used to go to an apartment store downtown in the apartments of Lip Brothers, uh, Watermakers, or whatever. So I'm in there one day, and John happens to come in, and I see him. And he's down in the basement going through all these different things in order to do what needs to be done. But that was an outlet for him. For example, if you remember, Don, you should remember this. He used to give ties away that he wore during the course of the game. That's right. Wow. So he bought those ties, and he had a lot of them, and that was a part of the John Cheney uh, myth in terms of the fact that he would give ties away to people that he might have worn or was wearing that night 
for for a basketball game. And well, Sonny, thank you so very, very, very much. And I know on behalf of Roger Hendler and, of course, Tommy Gilbert, Frank, we we so much appreciate uh, spending this yes, much time with us. And we'll do it again and take care of the living room. We've got to keep an eye on that one, too. <laughs> thank you so very much. Appreciate it. Hey, take hey, care. Sonny, oh, wow. John was a great teacher, too. Well, that's the other thing. People don't understand. He was the English teacher. He yes. was an educator. He was an mm-hmm. English teacher. Wow. A lot of people don't know that. You brought up a very good point. That's right. Mm. Well, that's one of the reasons he left training is I'll that they wouldn't give him tenure. I love Say it again. I said, I'll catch you in your living room on Sunday, 8 o'clock. <laughs> Anytime you want to call the living room, you tell my producer, whoever it may be. You okay. just tell him and say, Sonny Hill said that when I call, <laughs> put me on. Okay, I'll tell him. Remember this it's my living room. That's right. It's Sonny's That's living right. room. Right. That's right. God bless All right, Sonny. We had a lot of great years together, Sonny. Thank you very, very much. And I, thanks enjoyed, for having I enjoyed it, partner. That's your favorite saying, partner. That's Don's favorite saying, partner. All right, fellas. Mike Simsek is uh, waiting in the wings to chat as well, and I know he'll have a comment about some of the things that uh, – Sonny Hill has said because he's been listening. And uh, so, Mike, welcome to the show again. And uh, if you want to comment on something Sonny said or we said about uh, some of the great players of that particular era, uh, go to it. Well, I mean, it, it was rough losing John Chaney. Uh, I was not – I did not grow – I'm a Villanova alum. I'm a Villanova fan. But I grew up a Temple fan because of John Chaney. And you just loved the way that he, he coached the team. And I know that growing up, anybody who was anybody either wanted to play for Big John Thompson down here at Georgetown or wanted to play for John Chaney over at Temple. And one of my best memories of bad basketball was uh, November 4th, 1998. John Chaney had uh, Pepe Sanchez, and he had the number seven ranked team in the country. And Michigan State with the team Cleves and the um, Flintstones was number four. Right. And they came into the Leah Corps Center. And... Um, Oh, they got all over uh, Temple in the first half. I think it was forty to twenty at halftime. Ooh, and John was John was mad. Oh, John was flaming hot Cheeto mad. In fact, I have never seen John Cheney so mad in my entire life because you know when John got mad, John Ty would come down to half mass and he'd be yelling and spitting and stuff. This was throw his jacket John on went, the floor. <laughs> yeah, John went past that. To the point where he sat down on his chair in the end of the bench and stopped coaching. And don't you know, they came all the way back. And, they, and Pepe Sanchez hit two free throws to win the game. Um, I think it was like 56-54. And mm. time expired. Wow. Are you, talking about the, are, you talking about the, are you talking about the Michigan State game? Yeah. No, that's uh, that. Uh, we, they they hit some big free throws, yeah, but the game was won with uh, five tenths of a second to go. Michigan State inbounded the ball in their Temple's basket, and uh, two missed the inbounds pass. 
Pepe got in front of him, laid it up in wood, and and, and Temple won the game by two points. Was that the one Mm. there? Because I'm thinking about the 60-59 one that was in Philly. No, this was in Philly. This was at the Lake Core Center. And I thought it uh, wanted two, two free throws. That was my. But hey, look, I'm going to defer to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, that was one great game. I'll tell you that. Oh, mm-hmm. man, I, I will remember that. I will remember watching that because you remember, Don. He got so mad he stopped coaching. That's right. Well, he'd do that every once in a while. He'd get in and, and if he got upset with everybody, he'd get down the end of the bench and sit down and, and have one of his assistant coaches. Uh, you know, conduct the meeting when the players came over to time out in front of the bench. He wouldn't even get up and talk to them. <laughs> mm, wow. I mean, it, it, it was, what a great career. What a great person. What a legendary just man, mm-hmm. human being example. Um, and it, it's just a shame that, you know, you hear all these tributes now after he has he, he, he passed. But you want to think about the impact that he had because he would take – guys who might not get another chance someplace else coach them up give them a shot give them an education and set them on their way and he didn't coach basketball players he raised men right roger well i agree with you mike and uh, there's no doubt about it and when uh, mike kern was talking earlier about mcgonagall hall uh, uh, when that when the program started, I'll tell you, Don knows what it was like. I had the opportunity to play uh, a, a basketball on that court, uh, you know, in the uni- all-university uh, league for ROTC. And uh, I'll tell you what, it, it was definitely lacking uh, a, facil- uh, a facility. It really was uh, a lacking facility. And, uh, I mean, and John just had so much, and I know Don mentioned uh, Leah Corris. There's no doubt about it because he got, he hired uh, John. But uh, John was the one that put Temple on the map, and I think Mike Kern hit the nail on the head. Football was uh, just accepted because I can remember when I was in school back in the early 60s, we could play at Temple Stadium, and you'd be lucky if you got 5,000 people there on a Saturday night and the team wasn't that good. So, uh, basketball ruled and, and you know what Sonny was alluding to When you go back to uh, Harry Livwack Look at the mm-hmm. black players That uh, contributed Jay Pat Norman, Guy Rogers Hal Lear uh, I huh. mean you know Yeah That's, I, just, what just, I, that's uh, just what I was going to say to you Roger That we had You had a running era You had a, that era that you're talking about Guy Rogers of course one of the great players Not only in college but also in the pros Hal Lear uh, played in the Eastern League, as Sonny did, never quite made the pros. But that team, that, that three- or four-year era right in there, was the same kind of era that John Chaney had 15 years later. That's right. Mm. That's right. I remember listening to the NCAA uh, semi. They lost to Vern Hatton in Kentucky. And uh, I, to this day, I know the starting five, Mel Brodsky, Guy Rogers, on that team, Bill Pickles-Kennedy, and uh, Tink Van Bredekoff and Jay Pappy Norman. That was the starting five. Yep. Pappy wow. Norman is one of the great rebounders of all time at, uh, at Temple University. And John Baum, of course, is in the Hall of Fame right now. It was a longtime mm-hmm. partner of mine doing the ball games. And, and John was a, a outstanding player as well. And, but, Mike, you're exactly right. Uh, 
there's, there's several eras there at Temple. And in fact, Temple, if you look at the record book, now, you know, you can't look at it in the sense of did they play Indiana and, the, you know, in the Big Ten or something. But they, I think, are the second leading winning team in the history of NCAA Division One basketball. I think they're second, second or third. Uh, I, I don't have the record in front of me, but I think they are. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's unreal when you think about it. Don, remember this guy back in Temple? It was Clarence Brookings, and it, this guy made a coach Harry that whack match, Drew Nolan, the lead in that fast break. <laughs> right. I remember watching that fast break, you know, and he, he, always, he always threw the ball along. Harry Whitwack called a timeout, and, and he had to bench, you know, Drew Nolan for just uh, just going crazy on the court out there in that. But and for St. Joe's, Cliff Anderson, another great rebounder back in Back in the day, you can't remember Howard Porter back in the day, and you know. Pat well, I'll tell you, Tommy, a guy that uh, pre pre uh, dated you, but was a year behind me, uh, played at Norristown High School to this this mm-hmm. day. He's a good friend, Jim Williams, and uh, you know Jim could have gone any place, uh, you know, and he's in the Big Five Hall of Fame, and he's a very uh, active Christian. Uh, in the church and everything, and and I see him at Big Five uh, affairs. Don, you've seen him uh, many times, and uh, right. Of course, uh, uh, Frank was at St. Joe's when Jim mm-hmm. was uh, was at Norristown High School, because you know Frank's a couple years older. But I tell you what, a class act, and that was all in the Harry Litwack uh, period. Now, when when Frank was there, did they have a round ball at that time, or was it oblong? No, was, uh, dirt, well, dirt wasn't dry yet, and they were trying to use uh, what we used was uh, tomato baskets for uh, baskets. <laughs> Mike, let's, get, let's get back to you, Mike. And uh, what is happening in the Baltimore, Washington area? The Ravens have been knocked out. Washington knocked out at the playoff. Uh, chance to get into the playoffs and got in there, and they got knocked out. What's uh, what's on the docket down there with the hockey club, the football club, whatever? Well, the football, the uh, hockey team, um, Tommy, you'll be happy to know, they continue to do well. Uh, they're tied with the, the uh, Flyers on points. The Flyers have had a slightly easier schedule than the Caps do, mm-hmm. but we'll see them uh, next week. They play two games wow. against each other. Uh, the Flyers are trailing Boston right now, one nothing. So the Flyers mm-hmm. have uh, back-to-back games against Boston, and then they follow that with back-to-back games against the Caps. So we're going to see Ooh. what the Caps and what the uh, what what the uh, Bruins are made of. Um, as far as the football team, the uh, most interesting thing that developed today was a rumor about a three-way trade, which would send, see Washington send two first-round picks to Las Vegas for David Carr, who would then then Vegas would flip those two first-round picks to Houston for Deshaun Watson. Now, of course, that's just a rumor, but um, it, it is an indication that the, the uh, football team is definitely in the market for a, uh, a, for a starting quarterback. Um, and, you know, as far as uh, the basketball team stinks, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with baseball when it starts. You know, they have been, the Nats have been extremely quiet in uh, free agency which is a bit surprising, but they still have the salary cap restraint. Well, they still have the salary restraints because of uh, the big deal that they gave uh, 
they gave they gave the big deal they gave out last year to um, Strasburg and right. um, trying to figure out how to re-sign if they're going to re-sign um, Scherzer. But I would suspect at some point that they would they would add a bat um, at, 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 sometime soon. They really haven't made uh, any move. They signed Kyle Schwarber, the uh, outfielder for, from uh, Chicago last week. And that went so far under the radar, I had to remember whether or not Kyle Schwarber was still playing, whether or not it was the same Kyle Schwarber I thought was the one that was the star for the Cubs back in 2015. Mm-hmm. It was. That's him. Yeah, all all offense and no defense. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, he, 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 he's coming here after a few down seasons. They signed him to basically a minimum type deal. So, right. But that was like the big, I guess, one of their big offensive moves. Uh, this season, so it's been a slow burn in free agency for for the Nats. It looks a and lot. Roger, like I, is, Roger, I uh, see where uh, Atlanta is going to stick with Ryan. They, uh, uh, there are no rumors that he's going to go anywhere. A lot of quarterbacks are being talked about, but uh, Ryan's going to stay where he's been, and that's in Atlanta. Well, I'll tell you what they they have done. Uh, they've made big changes in the administration. Um, and uh, Nick Polk was let go. He's been there for years as the uh, cap guy and admi- the head of administration and uh, just a, a terrific individual. So the uh, the new general manager and the new regime is uh, putting their stamp on it. But, you know, Matt Ryan's situation, Don and Tommy and, and Mike and Frank, the same as Carson Wentz. They would take a oh, big okay. hit like a $30 million hit if they were to let him go on the cap. And I don't think they, they want to do that. And it wouldn't surprise me if they do draft the quarterback uh, for the future, because, you know, Matt's uh, what, uh, 30, I guess, should be 34, 35. Right. Uh, Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I thought 33, but you might be right. 34 might be right. Well, he, he, he right. came out of uh, Boston College in uh, the first year, 08. He was 22, so that's 13 years. So they're uh, 13 and 22 is 35. Right. Exactly. Mike, I got a question for you. So before we before we go to Doug, before we go to Doug Hamilton, Mike, uh, let me ask you any any last minute information you want to pass along, or as we get ready for yeah, a new weekend and your observation on the Super Bowl. Oh, geez, I don't want to see Old Man River win another one. So hopefully um, (laughs) Patrick Mahomes gets it done and gives Tom Brady his first loss in the Super Bowl from a team outside of the NFC East. Um, I'm going going with a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be uh, Chiefs 44, Bucks 30. Um, pay attention to the news tomorrow because tomorrow is the deadline midnight for the uh, MLS collective bargaining. Uh, it doesn't oh, look right. like they're, they're going to get move move too much. They extended it until midnight February fourth. So if it's mm. not done tomorrow, uh, we're looking at a lockout when we talk next. Oh my goodness! Well, let's. Uh, I'll tell you, baseball's not a trouble. Players Association, the owners can't get together. MLS can't get together. These guys are making all this money, and they can't get together. Mike, thank you very much. Unbelievable. 
Mike, before you go, do you think that they will come to an agreement, your gut feeling? I don't think they'll come to an agreement tomorrow, but I think that they'll come to an agreement eventually. Um, but it, it's going to be hot, tough. Like, um, the player, the, the MLS soccer is asking a lot. They want to extend the collective bargaining agreement by two years, and they want another $110 million in financial concessions on top of 150 they asked for last year. Um, so, it, and, so it's a lot. Um, I, I, don't, I think they will come to an agreement eventually. But uh, I, I think you're going to see a lockout at least probably through January. I wouldn't be or through February. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if something got done around March, early March. Mm. Mm. I hope. So cool. All right, well, well, thank you very, very much. Appreciate it as always. Have you a great care. Doug, let's That's bring you up next. And uh, on top of the, on top of the, we'll start with the Super Bowl with you because you're a football man as well as a golf man and. and uh, Okay. So let's talk before we talk about the PGA. Before we talk about a, mm-hmm. uh, what's going on in the golf front out there in Arizona, uh, okay. one of the unusual, uh, one of the unusual venues in golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's mm-hmm. talk about the Super Bowl. What's your eye? What What's your thought? Well, uh, I certainly look forward to watching the game, uh, culminating, you know, a pretty good NFL season, battling through, you know, all kinds of. Um, adverse conditions with COVID and, and injuries and, you know, no preseason, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so certainly it'll be a great distraction uh, for me to, you know, not have to think about life for at least, you know, a four hour period there. Um, so, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, I think uh, Tampa Bay playing in its own stadium is, is uh, tremendous for them. Uh, but I don't know if the weather is going to be an issue in terms of rain or not, that, that could potentially play into it. Um that's the you know, forecast, but uh, in the morning, as they're saying now, the rain should pass by like uh, twelve one o'clock. Okay. Um, Good. Yeah, I think Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is is a better defensive team. I think their offense has um, certainly picked up over the course of the last several weeks. Um, you know, I think Kansas City is a tough matchup for anybody. Um, they can score at will. Uh, Tyreek Hill is is uh, such a dynamic receiver, and uh, the tight end. Uh, Travis Kelsey is is a tough cover for for anybody. Um, you know Patrick Mahomes is he lit it up this year, tremendous uh, for the entire season. Um, I think the running game is is just good enough. So I, I, it'll be an interesting matchup um, to see what Tampa Bay can do defensively. But you know you, you can't stop their offense, uh, Kansas City's. Um, you can you can maybe hope they miss some field goals or or he forces a ball in there and, and throws a pick or something. But, um, you know, I think Kansas City is the better football team for sure. Mm-hmm. Tommy? Well, I think you're right about that, Doug. I mean, the, the whole hype down here is, you know, the, kids, um, about the quarterback Tom Brady. Bruce Arias did one heck of a job down here, guys. He brought a bunch mm-hmm. of no ones to get to this point right now. But I, I, I got a feeling, you know, everybody's been saying boxes, boxes to the stadium. But Andy mm-hmm. Reid is one of the best coaches in the National Football League. Andy Reid will pull another surprise out. And Tom Brady was beaten in the Super Bowl by the Eagles and Nick Foles a couple of years ago. But I'm going to say Kansas City 20, Tampa Bay 17, because I think the Bucks mm-hmm. defense is not that strong. And this, this Patrick Mahomes, is a, it's, it, he's going to be the next coming of a superstar Joe Montana, guys. I, that's what I can see. But it's, great for the, but it's great for the city of Tampa. The people coming down there, 
Super Bowl experience that have been wonderful. What I heard down here, it's great for the city at this trying time for something to look forward to going to the city mm-hmm. be a part of it. But if you go in the city of Tampa, wear a mask and do six feet rule part. Hey, Tommy, you're right there. Uh, are there a lot of people that are wearing uh, team mask around? Well, you know, a lot of people, uh, where, the, where the Emily Arena is, Roger, that's probably three blocks away, and I see the Riverwalk. People are walking the Riverwalk. A bunch of college kids come down, came down for the game, and a bunch of uh, still fans were coming down, coming down for the game, and I see various players that they wear the Bucks shirts and and they wear the Kansas City shirts, but the downtown's so laid out. They have the, the in front of our building. They have the helmet of a football, of the of the Bud of the Bud Light thing, and it, it, they sit just uh, the posters are up there for Super Bowl uh, this this coming week. But Mayor Jane Castor Franklin knows knows about this. She emphasized was someone not wearing a mask at going at football series. Or downtown Tampa will be fine. Five hundred dollars on the spot, and at the hockey game on Saturday night, I noticed a couple of policemen down there, and they didn't have any masks. They did, did nothing at all. But you know, it's just you know the the people. I'm glad the people in Tampa Bay spending their money, and we still like the Dombaco impact, like the Outback Bowl. So it should be a good game. But guys, a footnote: Doug, you love this. I, I think it's two o'clock kickoff. For the puppy bowl on the animal planet show, that's probably I'm more concerned about what the cocker spaniel's going to do out to the, the puppy German shepherd. So I'll be <laughs> my money will be on that. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey Tommy, how many people are allowed at the Amelie Arena to see a hockey game? Roger, that's a great question. I should have called you about this. I'll go just real quick. Well, what you got to do is all media and office PR personnel and the team players are allowed to come in. If they go in the building, you have to get, you know, get your bags checked. That's normal, but you got to take a temperature and then, and they, and they give you, then you got to go up the stairs a level. But how many, uh, Tommy? How many did they let in? Yeah. Zero. Zero. It's just the media. It's the media themselves. The the players, personnel, and I'm very lucky that I get every game done. Frank, what's the what's the line for the Super Bowl? What have twenty five percent, thirty percent? Where you're closer to it than I am. What what's the number that's putting on the Super Bowl? Thirty 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 allow fourteen thousand people into the to the uh, stadium. That's not counting the seventy five hundred they're going to put in from from uh, the uh, um, nurses and and COVID uh, workers. So they're going to be twenty one thousand right. people total. So it's about a third. Um, that'll be allowed in the stadium, and then they're going to put up 10,000 uh, placards. But Roger, to, to answer your question, I, would, I took the boys down to uh, uh, to uh, fan, uh, what they call Fanland <clears throat> on Sunday, and um, there was it was a, a very constant movement of people. There were a lot of people going through. Everybody had masks on. If they didn't have a mask, they weren't allowed in. Mm-hmm. Uh, traffic was fine. Every every first time I've seen it downtown, every intersection had two officers out on those on the street to make people make sure people can get across the street. So they were mm-hmm. moving people in both. They had two different sections. 
one downtown and then one on the Riverside and um, Riverwalk rather. It was uh, mm-hmm. it was a great uh, fun for the uh, for the boys. They were able to, to uh, walk through different exhibits and uh, have their picture taken uh, outside with the big uh, sign. But uh, everybody was messed up walking downtown. And of course, I had to to uh, teach the boys. You know, they they live out here in the country. That when you go to the to uh, to the city, you don't look up to see the big buildings. You look down to sit, make sure you're not in the dog dirt. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, Doug, Doug, we're getting uh, we're getting a little bit lucky here in, in Sarasota. The fact that we're going to get concessions, country clubs going to bring the tournament. You normally it's played in Mexico, but uh, there again, it's only going to be the media and family, uh, no spectators whatsoever. So, uh, the one good thing about it, uh, from a uh, standpoint, with only having five weeks between the time they decided to move it here and when the tournament actually takes place, uh, you don't have to worry about all the, uh, you know, grandstands and all the things that go along with having a major PGA tournament in your backyard. But they are going to hold, hold it here with no people whatsoever. Yeah, that's the the circus, as they say, when it comes to town for for tour events like that is. You know, it's a tremendous scale of of things that have to happen with uh, you know grandstands and parking and all kinds of stuff. So it's, there's a lot involved in all that. Hey Doug, uh, did you get inundated with a lot of snow? We got um, I got about six or so inches of snow here. It was, you know, just enough to, you know, kind of shovel it. I, I did it in in phases where it was light and fluffy, and then overnight, the one night, I think it, it kind of changed into a little wetter um, substance, which made it a little heavier. And You know, whenever the they come through the, the community here, they when they plow, they always, you know, plow all the snow, and it gets stuck at the bottom of your driveway, and it becomes a pain in the butt. So, yeah, it was... What is your observation? Uh, everybody has a point of view about what happens in Arizona because that's a completely different event than any other PGA event even around the world that, that's a sure. that's a single item right there what do you think yeah. I, you know I, I think that um, I think by and large I think that that golf obviously uh, as we know it is it's a game of quiet it's a gentleman's game it's um, by and large, I think you could probably, at that level and in general, kind of classify it as stodgy to some degree in terms of the litigious uh, and verbose nature of the rules. And I think over the course of time uh, that the powers that be, whether it's USGA, PGA, RNA, all these different people have made some concessions in terms of making the rules easier and hopefully the game easier and more enjoyable. So, you know, I think the waste management event and, and the Typically, that par three where they—it's basically just a tailgate party. I think it's fabulous for the game. Um, you know, I do. I think it's—I I think it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's sorely uh, needed uh, on on a, a more regular basis uh, with regard to they're the, the most sought after. They're the most sought after seats there. Yeah, I mean, it's—I <laughs> I can imagine how fun that would be. And I'll be honest with you, I would—I um, would—I would fashion the the PGA Tour players to think that. You know that's something a little bit different too. But it, th- those guys, most of those guys, um, you know, when, when they're out playing with their buddies, I mean, they're probably listening to music and, and at some point in time, right. maybe drinking beers and carrying on. I mean, that's probably what they want to do anyway. You know what I mean? In terms of 
of how they really want to play the game. So I, I think it's sorely missed, and I think it's, it's a treat to watch. Oh, it is. It was a treat to watch, Doug. I mean, half these guys today had some had the radios on while they're playing playing around at country club golf. They play their had the radios on and have a good time. Sure. I mean, I I, I I love to sit in the stands, you the stands, and the guy misses a putt, and you get the boom. <laughs> right. Tell me, well, old Eagle days in Philadelphia, boot everything. It's so, I mean, but that, that's good for golf when you come down to think about it. Well, and think think of it this way: most of those guys on tour are somewhere between, you know, I don't know, twenty five and forty for the most part. I mean, so it's not it's not like you know what I mean. They're they're younger guys. I mean, when they're playing their practice rounds, they're playing in shorts. They're they're carrying on. They're you know what I mean. They they're goofing off and they're juggling the ball on the on their wedges. And I mean that's what they do. I mean they're not they're real people. I mean they're not. I mean no one wears exactly. pants anymore. You know what I mean. So I mean let's let's get with the times and and kind of put it into perspective that golf is a golf is a game of fun. You know what I mean. Like have some fun while you're out there. So in, enjoy it. Doug, yeah, I, I talked earlier in the show about uh, the, the golf channel last night. I don't. I don't know whether you had a chance to see Bill Russell. Did you see Bill at all last night on the golf channel? No, I was, I was slipping through the channels. It's it's really disgusting when you have like 300 and something channels on your package of directions. Yeah, you yeah. can't find anything to watch. Well, he, you know what I mean? You wind he up made it, he, made of... <laughs> he made an interesting point, uh, at least I thought it was. Uh, a number of, in fact, the best interview I've, I've seen in a long, long time, I'll tell you. Uh, he, and he talked, he plays golf five days a week now. And uh, from the day from the day he played his last game uh, of basketball, he's never played basketball again since then in any level. Mm-hmm. He said mm-hmm. the only time that he, the only time he ever he borrowed a set of, of, of sneaks from uh, mm-hmm. somebody on the team because his son, who was seventeen, challenged him to a one-on-one game, and he <laughs> said, "You know, I don't play. I don't play." And uh, so the the, the his son just kept needling him a little bit, so he finally did. It's the only time he's played since he quit and uh, mm-hmm. talked about playing with his son. But the interesting part was he said, I play golf seven days a week or five mm-hmm. days a week. He said, I got my handicap down to seven. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he said, when I got to seven, he said the game was not fun anymore. Yeah. He said, because what I do now, I go out and play, he said, I don't worry about going to the first hole and getting a bogey because if you get a bogey on the first hole and you got a seven handicap, all of a sudden it's not mm-hmm. fun. You're worried about what you're going to get all the way around. Sure. So he said, I go out and play. He said, I may shoot 90. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I'm not worried about what I got on the first hole or whether right. I was still shooting to a, to a seven mm-hmm. handicap. Well, and, and I think that's a. Where did he go ahead, Roger? Time. Go ahead. Yeah. Where does Bill Russell live? Uh, you know, I'm not sure where he lives. Uh, to be honest with, you, I don't know. I don't know if they said said where he. I, I was surprised because he he uh, actually was was uh, born in uh, Louisiana. I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. Born in Louisiana, mm-hmm. then moved to California. His mother died very early, and his father mm-hmm. raised a uh, brother too. His father raised the two boys. And they were in California, mm-hmm. and then he went to Seattle to college, and then of course from there uh, uh, was actually with the Hawks. He was traded from St. Louis to Boston, and uh, mm-hmm. that big trade. Uh, but I don't. He he didn't he didn't say 
At least I don't think so. He didn't say where he is living right now. I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. Well, I, the only reason I ask, because uh, if he's playing five days a week, he's got to be playing in a nice climate. You Absolutely. Right. Oh, yeah. Arizona, probably, or L.A., or maybe down here in Florida, guys. We don't, you know. He, yeah. he that's the Pagan trade, right? Cliff Hagen yeah. went to St. Louis. He went to Boston. That's right. Right. He's, he's Ed McCauley. And, uh, but anyway, uh, to make a long story short, we can probably look it up on uh, on, on, on the computer and see exactly where he lives now. Uh, lives I don't in have Washington. right in front of me. He lives in Washington, lives. State. Is that where he is? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Washington State? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So he went back to his college, went back to his college days. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think yeah, well, if he plays it. five, if he plays five days a week in Washington, he gets wet. <laughs> so, <laughs> man, if you're out, man, it yeah, rains Frank, all the time out there. Oregon and Washington. When Frankie was uh, out at uh, Harbor View Hospital out in Seattle, uh, we took a uh, train ride between uh, Seattle and uh, where he was living up in uh, um, the next state up, and uh, I noticed that when we looked out the window, even the cows had rust on them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you go to Portland or you go to Seattle, whatever, you, you see rain. I mean, it, it's just mm-hmm. uh, almost every day. It, it really is a. I shouldn't say depressing because those people love it, I guess. But it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the place I would settle down. I'll tell you that. Not me either. Sick of rain, especially with cold weather in Florida. Oh my God, it's just freezing down here. But beside beside the point, I mean, it's just lucky we had this cold weather by the weekend and be warm. So, and hopefully for that well, football game, there'll be no rain. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to say thing. Roger, you probably remember when they were over to Orlando and. and Everybody came down. All the media came down with that. I'm going to be in Florida. It's going to be beautiful. You know, I got my shorts out. I got this and that. And they got down here, and it was like 35 <laughs> degrees. 35 degrees. And uh, now, now we're in Orlando this week. And Tommy, it was uh, what uh, probably 42 last night. But they are right. saying it's going to be 72 for the game. Yeah. Well, that's well, great. I'll tell you what. Better that you're not at the Jersey Shore with all the flooding, and uh, oh boy, and then, uh, I, I got a word from a friend that uh, uh, lives in the uh, uh, Ch- um, Cheltenham area. They got two feet of snow. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. oh downtown got three up feet. In, up in Sparta, they got a little, yeah, a little over three feet. I've never been that far up north in Jersey, but they said it was so bad up there, nobody could get out of their house. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, I the, the worst I saw was uh, up in New Hampshire. I saw pictures of the year before I got there, and the snow was up to the second uh, story windows. And, no. uh, and uh, when I was there, we got 23, 24 inches, and it was so uh, heavy that uh, the uh, main turnpike got shut down. But the mm-hmm. next day, uh, the schools were closed, and uh, – uh, Jenny decided to hop in the car and drive into Boston to go to the North, North Shore Mall because all oh. the roads had plowed and salted and didn't have any trouble. So, it's a, you know, it shows you when you get up there. Yeah. 
Well, we flew with the Buffalo. We flew with the Buffalo one time with the 76ers. They had the National Guard outside. Nobody, that place was closed, <clears throat> closed for three days. We were supposed to play at the Anadago Auditorium there, and they didn't think we were going to be able to play the game. We, we flew in and got in about 5 o'clock at night, and uh, we had the buses on the runway. Took us from the right, right out of the gate into the hotel right across from the airport. And they didn't think we were going to be able to play because the snow was so high. I mean, it was halfway up the bus. It was unbelievable. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And and what happens is that, uh, uh, you know, one time they got uh, two, three feet uh, in Buffalo. When you go up uh, seven miles away, up towards Niagara Falls, you didn't, you had like six inches, seven inches. Yeah. Right? yeah. Because they well, got you that. Doug, have you gotten any feelers? Anything uh, got your finger to pie anywhere? Or tell us a little bit about what uh, your situation is as far as uh, not only the weather, but uh, as you as you look around for a, a new position. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm certainly doing what I can. Um, you know, I think that you know, by and large, um, using myself as an example, I mean, I was employed for 16 years, so I mean, a lot of PGA professionals stick around. Uh, their respective clubs for periods of time that make it difficult to, you know, get your foot in the door, so to speak. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking around, there's some, some possibilities. Um, you know, the PGA of America has a, a job board, um, you know, no different than, you know, indeed or any of these other, uh, individuals. So, I mean, I'm, I'm scouring, there's one or two opportunities on there. There's, um, there's one uh, locally here that I'm I'm uh, consulting with a guy to, you know, they, they they lost their PGA pro and they were considering, you know, bringing somebody else in. So, um, you know, I'm looking around. I mean, I know that, you know, there's opportunities, you know, both inside and outside of uh, the golf industry. And I just have to figure out, you know, what, what it is that's, uh, you know, best for me in terms of, all things considered, I mean, quality of life and, and travel and, you know, you know, financially and, you know, all these different things. So, um, you know, we'll take a look once uh, I should have, um, a better answer for you. Hopefully I know that, uh, the company I consulted with to get my resume redone professionally. I mean, I haven't really had a need to redo it for a long period of time, but, um, I should have that, uh, copy that I can disseminate to different people that have asked me for it, whether they're members or, um, you know, submissions to, to job opportunities. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're Seven, doing everything 17 we years of your club, right? 17 years you were at the club? I, I was 16, yeah. Just finished just finished up with uh, with my 16th. And, um, I mean, it's, as you mentioned, Don, I mean, that was a great piece of advice last week. I mean, it takes a little bit of time for you to mentally wrap your head around the fact that, you know, you're no longer getting in your car and driving to that facility and seeing those same members and your routine is certainly a little bit off and, um, you know, I kind of gauge my day based on, you know, how I, how I wake up in the morning in terms of, you know, some mornings I, I replay that conversation uh, in, in the GM's office where he dismisses me and, you know, you just think about it and it, it either upsets you, pisses you off, or just gives you motivation to, to get through your day um, where otherwise, you know, maybe you didn't, you didn't think you had, you know, one more rep on the bench press or, or whatever. It just kind of, you know, spark something underneath of you. And, you know, I think a lot of people can, can go get it different ways. I mean, you guys can certainly interject, but I mean, you know, when someone, you know, lets you go, so to speak, um, 
you know, you can stick your head in the sand and, and, and kind of do nothing about it, or you can, you know, regenerate yourself and, and try to, you know, reincarnate, you know, some of what made you uh, successful for the amount of time you did. I mean, I, I find it, you know, difficult that, Doug, that they, Doug they couldn't see, you know, what, what it was that I had to offer, but hopefully somebody else will and, and we'll have some better news in the future for you. You'll, Frank, you'll, you'll, be you'll be all right. Now, Frank, this is time. Tick, tick, tack. Another great show. Doug, you're my prayers. I'm praying for you. Just send the final position that you love. And I'd like to thank Mr. Don Henderson, as always, Mr. Roger Hendler. Um, first of all, Sunny Hill brought back great childhood memories down with Sunny Hill and all of our guests, Roy Cummings, and comments for the Daily News. Thank you for coming on. And, Frank, thank you for everything you've done for the show. And, Minnesota the Dallas, guys, another great show. Thank you so much. Thank you, great fellas. We'll do it again next week. Hey, Doug, I sent you that. I sent you uh, a number. All right. Thank you. Okay. I guess, uh, Frank, uh, from my family, your family, have a beautiful, blessed week. Now, fans, if you're in the Tampa Bay area down for the Super Bowl, please wear your mask and be six feet apart. Frank, who are you picking for the Super Bowl before we leave? Tampa. I am, too. Yeah. I, I am too, Kate. Now, Andy Reid would do some some dumb thing and Tampa turn into the game winning field goal or touchdown. Roger, always a pleasure. God bless. Great, you too. Great pleasure. I think that Charlie Weiss said that uh, you've got a Hall of Fame coach and a non Hall of Fame coach. So uh, you know that's what you got. That's his opinion. Have a great week. God bless. Take care, Tommy, Frank, Tom. Okay, Roger, thank you guys, and everybody. Thank you, Frank, and. Have a great week, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please, please let them know that you know they're there. These are very tough times for everybody in uniform. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, <clears throat> Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerber, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafo Crispin, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogle, Longboat Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Mike Godwin, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, <coughs> Tarpa Springs Police Department, Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Cotloff, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Art Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. FTLE Special Inspector Vinny Galaccio. Delaware State Troopers Corporal Stephen Boward. So- Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter. Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard. Lieutenant Matt uh, Letourneau, uh, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Bill Gentry, Highland County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Clay Zerber, Clay County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. 
Deputy Robert April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department. Uh, Officer Bob McEchin, Biloxi, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Hotsa, Florida Highway Patrol and Sergeant uh, James, I'm sorry, Matt Levine, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields. The sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week.
1999. All units be advised, 1999 responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul. Good night, Bob.